0: Good day, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to Accolade First Quarter 24 Earnings Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there'll be a question and answer session. To-
1: Thanks, Operator. Welcome, everyone, to our fiscal first quarter earnings call. With me on the call today are our Chief Executive Officer, Rajiv Singh, and our Chief Financial Officer, Steve Barnes. Jonathan Nundi, our Chief Health Officer, will join for the question and answer portion of the call later. Before turning the call over to Rajiv, please note that we will be discussing certain non-GAAP financial measures that we believe are important when evaluating our company's performance. Detail over to our CEO, Rajiv Singh. Thank you, Todd, and thank you everyone for joining us today. We enter fiscal Q2 with optimism regarding our company, our category, and our opportunity to build a nationwide customer-obsessed healthcare delivery system off the foundation of advocacy-led primary care. Let's get into the reasons for our excitement. First. Revenue and Adjusted EBITDA were both ahead of Second, the selling season is off to a strong start. Fiscal Q1 is really the first quarter our buyers put pen to paper on contracts, and we saw large companies in food services and retail choose Accolade. Fiscal Q2 is also a major quarter for signing new business, and the pipeline continues to look strong. Notably, more of the deals in the pipeline include multiple offerings and one companies evaluating in our category. Third, calling out two other drivers of growth for our business. As I mentioned earlier, both our expert medical opinion business, Accolade Expert MD, and our virtual primary care and mental health business, Accolade Care and Plush Care, are demonstrating strength. Today, we'll focus on the virtual primary care business. On the enterprise side of the business, we fully deployed is notable. On the consumer side of the business, We continue to see strong demand for the high-quality longitudinal care delivered by our physicians and therapists, and growth rates remain strong and steady. Since I'm sure we'll get a question about the impact of GLP-1 drugs, let me make a few comments here. Accolade's approach is different than many other companies in this space. That said, we did see a benefiting from the demand associated with GLP-1 weight loss drugs. I call this out for two reasons, to bring your attention to how Accolade differs from other companies who have a role or a part to play in this healthcare journey. While it is a fact that GLP-1 drugs are driving interest in virtual primary care, this is in many ways no different than when COVID drove demand for virtual primary care or during this. Our care delivery teams, led by Dr. Shanta Nunundi and Dr. James Wontag, are ensuring that we apply the proper clinical rigor in prescribing these drugs only to patients who meet the defined criterion for prescription we don't earn money for prescribing medications so there are no incentives driving behavior to the contrary additionally because of the nature of our service we have the ability to help the patient with qualifies for these medications partners like verda may be a strong alternative for our customers and members seeking to address their need moving on fourth our government business continues to grow on the strength of our autism cares demonstration and other opportunities we are pursuing As we have said previously, the T5 award remains in a protest phase with a decision on HealthNets protest now due in September. Our customers, benefits buyers, are overwhelmed by the number of solutions available to them in the market. Our trusted partner ecosystem solves that problem by vetting critical partners in core categories. Last quarter, we added Equip, a leader in delivering eating disorder treatments. We'll continue to add new partners in a highly curated way and leverage our technology and data platforms to ensure strong adoption and efficacy for those programs. Finally, in terms of quarterly highlights, we made tremendous progress on our one accolade initiative. This is already having the effect of streamlining decision-making at accolade and improving our operating structure as we scale to serve hundreds more customers and millions more members. Now, wrapping up, before I turn the call over to Steve, let's briefly take a giant step backward and look at our opportunity. flex and costly healthcare systems that intimidates people instead of welcoming them. We are demonstrating through outcomes, engagement, and measurable ROI that an advocacy-led population health strategy, one we call personalized healthcare, is the key to transforming the U.S. healthcare system for our customers. To address that challenge, we're aspiring to build the first customer-obsessed nationwide delivery system in the United States. That is no small task, but the opportunity for the company that succeeds there is enormous. The heart of that business is an advocacy-led primary care practice that once again puts primary care in the center of delivering high-quality care. Over the last 50 years, for a variety of reasons, primary care spend as a percentage of total health care spend and utilization has gone down, while specialty care and pharmacy are means of reversing that trend. And our clients and prospects are agreeing and voting with their dollars. The market opportunity for doing this successfully is enormous. Our ability to influence many different parts of the healthcare journey has many significant vectors. Advocacy by itself is a $25 billion market. Expert medical opinion is similarly sized. Primary care is a 200 b And the capacity to enable dozens of ecosystem partners is also extraordinary. Today, fewer than a thousand companies have adopted true advocacy-led benefits programs. There are over thirty five thousand companies with more than five hundred employees who we consider our target market. Put it all together and we see runway for years to come, with the real beneficiary being the healthcare consumer.
2: Approximately one million dollars in performance guarantee related revenue earlier than expected, as we had initial initially forecasted this PG to be earned in fiscal Q four. As we've noted previously and highlighted in our Capital Markets Day presentation on May eighth. At the start of a fiscal year, we generally forecast that savings-related PGs will be recognized in our fiscal Q4, when we earn in the second half of the fiscal year. Turning to the balance sheet, cash and cash equivalents totaled $303 million at the end of the first fiscal quarter. As a reminder, our convertible notes are not due for about three years. So with $303 million cash on hand, We have more than adequate liquidity to achieve our financial plans without going back to the capital markets, place guidance to a range of $410 to $414 million, representing year-over-year growth of approximately 21% at the midpoint, excluding the customer termination noted earlier. We are also raising our full-year outlook on our bottom line, updating our adjusted EBITDA loss for fiscal 24 to a range of $6 to $12 million. And with respect to the fiscal second quarter, we are now guiding to revenue in the range of 93 to $95 million dollars, and adjusted EBITDA loss in the range of 11 to $14 million. Dollars. This adjusted EBITDA guide puts you at roughly $25 million dollars for the first half of the year, which when combined with our annual guidance shows that we expect to be significantly positive on an adjusted EBITDA basis for the second half of the year as our cost initiatives become fully realized and we turn the corner towards full-year profitability on an adjusted EBITDA basis in fiscal 25. And with that, we'll open the call to questions.
0: And thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, please press star one one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star one one again. Please stand by, we compile the q and a roster, and we ask that you ask, you have one question and no follow up again, that's one question and no follow up. Fancy one moment while we get the first question. one moment, please And our next question our first question comes from. Ryan Daniels from Blair, your line is now open.
1: Yeah, good evening. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, maybe a big picture one for you. We're seeing a lot of recent data that indicates that 2024 could be one of the larger healthcare cost trend increases for employers in about a decade. So maybe a two-part here. Number one, do your early channel conversations lead you to believe you know this is being widely recognized in the market? And then number two, if so, is that really helping your uh, advocacy-led PCP initiative is, is kind of a means to battle that trend at scale. Thanks. Hey, Ryan, thanks for the question and thanks for being here. Uh, I'll, address the, the, I'll address the question and see if you've got anything you want to jump in on here too. First part of the question, are we looking at a year ahead where a medical trend line is gonna be significantly higher or uh, materially higher than it has been in years past? I think that's very consistent with the feedback we're hearing both from our customers from the consultant community and from the indexes, so the early view on the indexes for the year. Uh, And I think the the corollary to that, Ryan, is very true. Now, when companies are looking at increased cost, when companies are looking at uh, significant changes in the landscape with things like GLP-1 or other uh, material waves that that are hitting the healthcare ecosystem in 2023 and 2024, they're looking for broad-based solutions that solve the problem at scale across the entirety of their population. And that's where we think we really differentiate ourselves. Uh, primary care is a part of the story, but primary care built off of an advocacy platform where you can surround primary care with data, service, and simplicity. Uh, we think it's really differentiated. And that, 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 no doubt, is playing a role in uh, the growth of
0: our pipeline on a quarter-for-quarter basis. And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Craig heaton back from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Yes, thank you. Uh, Raj, you spoke to some of the strength in expert medical opinion, and it does look like maybe there's some pent-up demand out there. Can you maybe just give a little bit more color in terms of some of the patterns that you're seeing and, and what that means for, for your outlook here?
1: Yeah, Craig. First of all, thanks for the question. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, one, two things are that drive uh, expert medical opinion uh, revenues and growth. The first is new logo acquisition. Are we growing by acquiring new customers? And we do that uh, both with our direct sales channel and with our health plan partner channel. The answer to that question is yes. We're continuing to see strong growth there. The demand for a service like that one that's so uh, rationally aligned with, uh, with the customer need continues to be strong. The second part of that story is utilization, and, uh, and we're continuing to see utilization at levels uh, that we've previously seen, and both of those things are driving the growth rate of the expert medical opinion business.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Jeff Garo with from Stevens Inc. Your line is now open.
1: Yeah, good afternoon, guys, and thanks for taking the question.
0: So it sounds like I'm hearing an increased
1: emphasis on virtual primary care as a differentiator. So I was hoping you could comment a, a little bit more on that and also the mention of a, an increase in interest in more than one product at a time. So, you know, relatedly there, curious to hear on, on any particular themes of combinations of products that prospects are interested in. Yeah, thanks for the question, Jeff. Uh, let me start with the, the back end of your question. Last year, when you look at, at the deals we closed last year, and we had a strong bookings year last year, 30% growth off the year before, uh, that year we saw the majority of new customer acquisition came in with more than one product. And so whether that was advocacy plus primary care, advocacy plus DMO, advocacy plus a trusted partner, uh, we saw the majority of, of our deals come in with multiple products as part of the first sale. We think that's reflective of customers understanding the strategy, believing that a personalized healthcare suite is aligned with their needs, and also wanting to see a platform to weave all of those capabilities together. Uh, and so that trend continues into this year. And so I think, I, I, I would guess over time that that just becomes the norm, and that what we're looking at are customers who are looking for a suite of solutions to solve the litany of challenges that they're facing when they're trying to, when they're trying to uh, reduce healthcare costs and improve patient experience uh, or member experience. First part of your question, uh, you know, Jeff, we would say that uh, the way we've been thinking about our service from the beginning is that primary care on a platform of advocacy is fundamentally differentiated, particularly when you're talking about an advocacy platform that today is uh, you know between 2.5 and, and 3 million members uh, we have an extraordinary experience of uh, delivering advocacy. We're now layering primary care on top of it, and what that really means is every primary care physician that works at Accolade has a 360-degree view of history of the patients that we're serving, has an understanding of the medications that are on and the conditions that they're facing, and also has an understanding of the benefits ecosystem that the employer has aligned for that for that patient. Uh, that gives our primary care physicians a superpower that other primary care positions don't have. And so, you know, a year ago, we really just got started in bringing primary care to market—the Accolade care offering. And I think we were learning about how customers wanted to uh, understand and embrace the solution. What we saw was a strong embrace of the solution last year. Uh, we deployed those customers on January one. We're seeing great uptake in terms of their utilization. And I think I think it's fair to say that that is a more significant and pronounced part of our value proposition go to market today because we saw such traction in it last year.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Jessica Sasan from Piper Sandler. Your line is now open. Hi guys, thank you so much for taking the, um, the question and congrats on the quarter. Um, We were just hoping you could uh, remind us what the performance revenue in S1 Q23 was, whether there was any um, in this quarter, and then just is that kind of what accounts for the year-over-year change in um, adjusted gross margin? Thanks. Hi, it's Steve, thanks for
2: the question. Yes, uh, there's certainly some uh, performance guarantee impact in Q1. Let me just walk you through. So the, the guidance range for the quarter was 89 to 91. So we beat the, the midpoint of the range by a little more than 3 million and the top end of the range a little more than 2 million. There was about a million dollars of performance guarantee, uh, pull forward recognized in Q1 that we expected to be, uh, recognized later in the year. Um, so we called that out. So the, the true beat was, uh, call it 2 million dollars, 2.2 as a midpoint, a million uh, at the, the top of the range. If you look back to last year, uh, you, you, you'd see that in this quarter last year we had a fairly significant performance guarantee revenue item recognized in Q1 for a uh, little more than $3 million. So the, the, the year-over-year comp there is driving some of the, the change or actually most of the change in the growth margin. And the full-year outlook for gross margin, we remain uh, consistent with, call it, uh, high 40s uh, expectations for the year.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Michael Turney from Bank of America. Your line is now open. This is Alan. And from Mike, thanks for taking the questions.
2: Uh, Raj, you mentioned, um, or I guess that investor, you talked a lot about the partnership strategy. And uh, I think uh, one of your partners, Verda, talked about how he was already driving some volume into, into their
1: business. I guess, is there any way at this point in the year to quantify the referral momentum that you're seeing uh, or maybe total partners, how that's changed? And I guess,
2: how important is the partnership strategy as you think about the 2025
0: selling season?
1: Thanks. I appreciate the question, Alan. I I think whether you're talking about the 2024 selling season, the 2025 selling season, uh, the partnership strategy is an essential part of the way we position our value to customers. Remember, if you were to step back, customers are looking to solve three core problems. The first, they want a better experience for their employees. They believe fundamentally that the existing healthcare ecosystem makes it difficult for people to understand and get the healthcare that they need. Second, uh, as uh, Ryan spoke about in his first question today, they're looking at trend lines uh, that is beginning to have a very negative impact on their business and off of big, big numbers. Uh, They want to be able to control that trend line. And the third thing they're wrestling with is an extraordinarily complicated healthcare ecosystem with a whole suite of carve-out solutions that offer extraordinary innovation to their members, but their members have a very difficult time finding and the benefits buyers have a very difficult time managing. That third value proposition is fundamentally addressed by our trusted partner ecosystem and our capacity to go to market with a vetted set of partners where we've built real product integration and we have an opportunity to help manage those partners on behalf of our customers. Uh, That's been essential to the value proposition forever. And what we've seen now is that as the ecosystem has grown and the integrations have, have delivered more depth, we're driving the kinds of results that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Sami Inkinen spoke about it at Investor Day, right? 2X utilization at accolade customers versus non-accolade customers. Uh, that value proposition is so clean and so crisp for customers that it impacts buying behaviors. And so in terms of quantification, I'd say there's a couple ways to look at it today that, we're, that we speak about. First is the breadth of the relationships. If you're to look across, uh, across all the categories that our customers are looking at, I think you'll find that our ecosystem is broader and has more depth in the categories that matter to those customers than any other ecosystem in the space. The second part of that story is customer uptake. Uh, And we've been been talking over the course of the last couple of years about the fact that we're seeing uh, an increasing majority of customers who have taken at least one trusted partner ecosystem uh, uh, relationship. Those two things should give you some sense, uh, Alan, that this is right at the heart of the value proposition we deliver to our customers.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Stephanie Davis from SBB Security, your line is now open. Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. Congrats on a good quarter. I wanted to also touch on that trusted partner ecosystem. Is this something
1: where there's exclusivity with these partners, so there's some sort of head-to-head competition as you try to go and get them in your network versus that of another peers? Or is this something where it's more of a question of rest and having kind of the the widest possible bench for folks that might want some variance in who they're partnering with? Thanks for the question, Stephanie. I, I think it's actually neither of those. Uh, and so let me uh, let me start with the question of exclusivity. Uh, in fact, uh, our partners, we partner with uh, multiple companies in certain categories, and we would expect to continue to partner with multiple companies in certain categories. In, in the, the rationale for that is fundamentally around ensuring that our customers have the right choice. Uh, it also breeds competition and innovation in each of those categories, which we think is good for the universe, good for our members, good for our customers. Uh, and your opportunity to build differentiation with those partners, which could be exclusive if your differentiation and your investment in building integration with those partners is real, uh, is where we think we have the opportunity to differentiate ourselves from potential competitors in the category who also have partnerships, but also give our customers incremental value. So, that, so hopefully that addresses the exclusivity point. On the second point, as it relates to breadth of the service, uh, we're going to be very focused on categories that our customers care about, categories where they're spending money, categories where clinical outcomes can be improved and that we think can tangibly uh, have hard impacts on trend lines. And in those categories, we're going to go deep. Uh, but I think it, what's important in terms of our strategy is we're going to vet those partners. We won't choose a multitude of partners. We'll choose a couple, two, maybe half end three that we believe are at the high end of that category in terms of value delivery, uh, at the high end of that category in terms of accountability, and also around uh, what our customers are most interested in. So we won't go wide necessarily that we have to. We'll be focused on the categories that matter and being really smart about the companies that we bet.
0: And thank you. And one moment by our next question. And our next question comes from Ryan McDonald from Needham & Company. Your line is now open. Hi, congrats on uh, the
1: quarter, and thanks for taking my question. Raj, you talked about in, uh, in the prepared remarks that like the government business continues to grow nicely there uh, with areas like the initiatives in autism care, <clears throat> but obviously you've got some delays on the T5 contract. As we think about the growth opportunity in government over the next couple of years here, what expect the primary drivers to be? And, and are you dependent on success with T5 to be able to continue to grow that government vertical? Thanks for the question, Ryan. Uh, I'll, I'll hit it in a couple of different ways. First, autism care continues to be a, uh, an exciting part of the business. Uh, it grew modestly on a year-over-year basis. Uh, we expect it to continue to grow, and we have an opportunity to continue to grow that uh, and it, it, it will uh, it will be an important part of our government business moving forward. In terms of opportunities to grow beyond that, there are multiple uh, incremental evaluations happening inside the government that we'll continue to pursue. They'll range from uh, the tri universe to other parts of the government universe that uh, that because we're we're still in the depths of those conversations, we haven't really talked about publicly, and will. Uh, but then, of course, it's a T five relationship. We believe the T5 relationship presents significant opportunity, as we've talked about at an in the past. Unfortunately, uh, the government appeals process tends to delay things. And so it's now, at least at this point, delayed until August of 24. Uh, it could potentially delay beyond that. We don't know. But what we can say is between autism care, between our other pursuits in the government, uh, we can grow without the T5 arrangement.
0: But with the T5 arrangement, we think there's a very real opportunity
1: to show strong growth across the category.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Jonathan Young from Credit Suite. Your line is now open. Thanks for taking the question, and uh, congrats on a good quarter here. Uh, just on the pipeline commentary, it sounds like things are tracking well, but I guess can you provide any color on how it's developing against your internal expectations? Is the pipeline larger than last year? Um, and alongside that, uh, it sounds like uh, you're selling more or there's more interest in multi-product solutions. So I guess can you give any additional color on that and what, what are people looking for, which I think you talked about before, but just get a little more color there. Thanks.
1: Yeah, hey, Jonathan. Uh Pipeline is bigger than it was last year at this time. Pipeline continues to grow, Uh, I wouldn't say beyond our expectations because our expectations are always aggressive, but uh, the pipeline continues to grow in a way that will support the objectives we have for the company for the year. Uh, As it relates to multi-product deals, uh, last year the majority of our deals were multi-product deals, and that same phenomenon is – we're we're quite confident – uh, Q1 witnessed the same phenomena. We we're quite confident that that same thing will happen in Q2 through Q4. And, uh, and because of the breadth of our trusted partner ecosystem and because of the breadth of our solution, advocacy, uh, primary care and mental health and expert medical opinion, uh, that, per- that desire for customers to do, uh, to one-stop shop across a number of categories, we think differentiates us against a number of our competition.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from, Singh from uh, Jalendra Singh from Truist Securities.
2: It's a good try. Uh Jalendra Singh from Truist Securities.
0: Congrats on a good quarter. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. One of your competitors recently announced a partnership with in-home care provider to add virtual to in-home care model to its offerings. I was just curious on your thoughts on extending your offerings to a home. And have you seen any demand in this area among your employer clients?
1: Thanks, Yadavar. Uh, a couple of thoughts here. First, you'll see us continue to expand our partner ecosystem into new categories. Uh, we announced today uh, a partnership that we're really excited about, uh, a company called Equip that's, uh, that's focused on really improving the service for people, families uh, challenged by eating disorders. Uh, if you look across the breadth of the categories that we're delivering, we're delivering uh, the widest set of solutions to customers in categories that are directly relevant to, as I mentioned before, improving clinical outcomes, improving convenience for their members, and lowering costs. Uh, do we believe over time that home health is an area that, uh, that could potentially have, uh, have an impact in those three categories? Absolutely we do and, uh, you, you should stay tuned in terms of what, what are we, you know, for us it's always about finding the right partner, checking those three boxes and ensuring, uh, that it's aligned with our customers' expectations.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Sandy Draper from Guggenheim. Your line is now open.
1: Uh, thanks very much, and I uh, appreciate you taking the question.
0: I'll try to
1: see if I can frame this right, probably for you, Steve. With the EBITDA outperformance this quarter, improving guidance in EBITDA or lower EBITDA losses, are you is that as you go through the year looking beyond that, do you change the way you think about, okay, maybe we step back up some reinvestments in sales and marketing of R&D, or maybe we go back into the M&A market, or is it really, you know what, we just want to scale margins, improve to ourselves, improve to the the market, we can get closer and closer to those EBITDA targets you set on investor. Day. I'm just trying to think with a strong start to the year, you're not going to make a snap decision, but if this type of performance continues by the end of the year, do you start to think about changing... Either M and A or internal investments, or is it really just let's just ramp faster in terms of margins? Hopefully that makes sense. Thanks.
2: Yeah, it makes great sense. Thanks, Andy. This is Steve. So a couple of things. First of all, you're right. We had a strong quarter in Q1, beat bottom line by about four million dollars, and you see us raising our guidance for the full year uh, for most of that, you know, call it three, and the other million dollars, you could you could consider that to be timing of investments and things like marketing programs, uh, etc. But but um, so we're very focused on getting the company to profitability as we laid out Capital Markets Day, and, and by the second half of this year, we will be there. And on a full year basis in fiscal 25, um, so that's a very important operational and strategic initiative for us. We also believe, Sandy, for other reasons, Raj has laid out, uh, given the strength we're seeing in the business and the strength of the platform, and being diversified across advocacy, primary care, expert medical opinion, the partner ecosystem. There's a lot of ways for us to grow, and we believe we're investing amply to achieve the growth targets we've laid out while also driving the company to profitability uh, as we laid out in in a lot of detail on Investor Day. So um, that's a little bit more color around the EBITDA guide and how it ties into our balance of growth
0: and profitability. And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Richard Close from Canaccord Genuity. Your line is now open. Um, Hi, this
1: is John Benion for Richard Close. Congrats on the quarter. I was just hoping you can get some commentary on the virtual blue plan and how that's progressing or any commentary you can provide there would be great. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the question. the partnership continues to progress as expected. You we've know, we've got the, we've got the, the, the first uh, round of going to market uh, in that space. We've seen the, the, the first green shoots of customer acquisition and uh, utilization. And so yeah I'd say the good news is uh, we have the relationship in hand. Uh, the good news is we actually uh, deployed and delivered. and it's a little bit too early for us to give you any color commentary on the kind of utilization that we're seeing. Uh, But I can tell you that uh, we continue to be really excited about the relationship and the opportunity in that space.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Stan Berenstein from Wells Fargo. Your line is now open.
1: Hi. uh, Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Maybe on plushare, what percentage of incremental growth expected to come this year will be coming from the enterprise channel. And can you also maybe comment on customer acquisition costs on the consumer side? Thanks. Sure. Sure. Uh Steve, you want to grab this one?
2: Uh, I'll start? And then want you want to jump in. So uh, first of all uh, Sam thank you for the question. As you know the, the growth coming today is that you're seeing in revenue is largely driven by the consumer business but uh, importantly, we just launched uh, several customers and more than half a million members on the enterprise side of the platform. So that was on January 1st where most of those launched. So it's, it's early days, but we're seeing strong utilization uh, in line with our expectations here in that first quarter. So most of the near-term growth has been on the consumer side, but our expectations are that that will also we'll see significant contributions um, from from the enterprise side. With respect to customer acquisition costs, I would say um, without getting specific about the dollar amount, we've seen it be consistently uh, attractive in, in, in and in the same range that we've seen over the past you know, period of time, it past 12 months. And so there's been a lot of opportunities to, to capitalize on that.
0: And thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from David Larson from BTIG. Your line is now open.
1: Hi. Uh, congrats on the good quarter. Um, you clearly have a very robust solution that's very comprehensive and impacts trend and improves the quality of care. One of the things that we've heard, though, is that when a customer decides to implement or potentially decides to implement Accolade, it can be a heavy lift. you got to switch call centers from the carrier. Sometimes they have to switch TPAs. Uh, and because of that, uh, sometimes um, they may delay or, or not choose to implement an accolade. Just, what are your thoughts around that? Do you do you ever get pushback from that or not? Um, thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for the question, David. Here's the way to think about it: If you're to look at the growth of the category, look at the growth of our customer base. Uh, our company had 54 customers on uh, July 3rd, 2021. Uh, 2020, excuse me, when we went public. Uh, The last time we talked about our customer count, here we are in 2023, and we have more than 800 customers. Uh, When we think about bookings growth from fiscal 2022 to fiscal 2023, our bookings grew by 30%. Uh, We're looking at a strong year ahead, uh, and we had a very strong Q1 as relates to bookings. Uh, So uh, when we look at customer adoption of a brand-new category, when you talk about healthcare services. I don't know that there's a category in the enterprise segment where we're going directly to employers and to health plans uh, that's growing more aggressively at this scale, at this size. Uh, when you think about our revenue forecast this year, we just took up top line guidance from $410 to, 410 to $414 million from a range perspective, each of those representing strength of the business. The strength of the business is always fundamentally driven by growth uh, as it relates to new customer acquisition. So hopefully that answers your question,
0: and thank you. And I, one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from Robert Simmons from DA Davidson. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks for taking the
1: question. I was wondering if you could put a finer point on your commentary around new sales or new bookings the quarter being strong. Like, how much did they actually grow, and what are your expectations for the year? Hey, uh, thanks for the question. We don't traditionally talk about bookings numbers in the at uh, the, the, the outset of the year. We've talked about uh, consistent growth on bookings on a year-over-year basis last year, uh, even outperforming our expectations and growing at 30%. Uh, we expect bookings to grow, uh, you know, in that 20% 20 to, 20 to 25% range on a year-over-year basis, uh, and th- that's the way we're thinking about the year ahead. And so we'll give you a more color commentary on that at the end of the year. Uh, but what we can tell you, as we mentioned, in prepared remarks and in several questions, uh, we're, 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 we're tracking through our expectations with a stronger pipeline than we've seen in the past.
0: And thank you. And I am showing no further questions. I would now like to turn the call back over to Todd Friedman for closing remarks.
1: Thanks, everyone, for being here. This is Roger. We appreciate you uh, spending the time with us, and we look forward to future
0: conversations. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.